Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which through, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexplicable and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time that circumstances the Spirit of God within them was indicating when he testified in advance of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Well, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Thank you, brother. Good morning. If, if you don't have your Bibles already open to 1 Peter chapter 1, I want to invite you to do so as we continue our study of this uh, powerful and profound book. The title of today's message is In the Interest of Angels. Angels are mysterious beings to us. Scripture gives us little glimpses into who or what they might be. The scripture teaches us that they're God's messengers. We, we get a little, we encounter them at various, various places throughout the Word of God uh, as, as we see them. Uh, we're told that, that a, a third of them uh, fell and followed Satan in his rebellion. Satan was originally an angel. Uh, we're indicating, we have passages indicating that, that uh, children have angels that look out for them. There are uh, passages that um, talk about angels disputing over um, Moses' body. I mean, th th there are just these little glimpses here and there in Scripture that, that sort of whet our appetite and make us curious about who angels are and what they do, but there's a lot of questions that we have that, that are unanswered. Uh, well, we're going to see something in the text today that gives us uh, just one more little picture or a little piece of the puzzle to, to sh reveal to us who angels are and, and what they do. And, and, but before we get there, there are a few other things the text is going to tell us. 
Uh, I appreciate Ben reading that whole section that we've looked at so far. Uh, as we said a couple weeks ago, verses 3 through 12 in the original Greek were one big long run-on sentence, and we've kind of divided it up into several messages. And so today we're going to look at the last few verses of this section, verses 10 through 12. But I, I wanted to just be reminded of the, the entire picture of what Peter is trying to say regarding our salvation because he's, he's talked about how beautiful this inheritance is that's waiting for us and it's being kept, it's imperishable and undefiled and unfading. And he, last week we looked at how our, our faith is being tested during this time on earth to help prepare us for that future glory that awaits us. And so now he says in verse, verse 10, concerning this salvation. So he's going to say, I, I want to just say a few more words about this salvation that we've talked about over these previous verses here. I want to just say a, a few more words about the beauty and the glory of this grace that has been given to you. And so the first thing we see here in these couple of verses, in verse 10 here, that it, we see that it's a prophesied salvation. Concerning this salvation, verse 10 says, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you. So we, we see that Scripture reminds us that this grace, this salvation that you and I experience, it was talked about previously. As we read the scriptures, this isn't new to us from the pen of Peter or Paul or even from the mouth of Jesus. This salvation has been talked about, has been prepared, has been beginning to, it was beginning to be revealed in the Old Testament. This grace that has come to us was a planned grace. It was a planned grace. The, the, the grace that the prophets spoke about in the Old Testament, it, it wasn't just like God woke up one morning and said, I got a great idea. Let's, let's do something about this mess of a race that's humanity down here on earth. No, no, this, this grace was planned from before the foundation of the world. God understood what was going to happen in His creation. And while Scripture doesn't let us look behind the curtain as to the inner workings of God's mind, we can see that God from the very foundation of the world had planned to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for sinful humanity, even though humanity hadn't even been created yet. It's a mind-boggling plan. But the, 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 the Word of God tells us that this salvation, this grace, was planned by God, by Almighty God from before the foundation of the world. It tells us that the Spirit of God testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. These prophecies that were made about Jesus Christ, about His death and resurrection, are remarkable for their accuracy. Many of you have studied the Old Testament prophecies and, and seen how, how just specifically and beautifully, they were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Hundreds of years before Jesus even walked this earth. This grace was a planned grace. But as we think about it being prophesied, we also see that it was a postponed grace. Verse 12 says that it was revealed to them, the, the prophets, that they were not serving themselves, but you. 
The, the, the prophets were given a job to talk about something that they would not experience. Again, the prophets didn't have, have it easy. They, they had a very challenging mission. They were supposed to discuss and, and, and sort of uh, uh, lay out, as, as best was revealed to them, this plan. When, when you read Isaiah 53, for example, about this suffering servant who would come and who would be bruised and who would give his life. They, they, they didn't fully understand it, as we'll talk about in a moment here, but they weren't going to experience it. It was not theirs to lay hold of. They ached and longed to see what you and I so often take for granted. In this this grace that was prophesied, it was also a, a divinely revealed grace. He, he says in verse 11 that the, the Spirit of Christ was the one revealing this. This wasn't something that the prophets came up with on their own. It wasn't a story that they made up. Maybe, uh, maybe you had a sibling or maybe you were the person or maybe as an adult you have a child who's great at making up stories. And... Uh, and if you didn't know better, they're actually fairly believable. If there wasn't some other evidence that comes along or someone, another sibling to rat them out, you're like, wow, this seems like a pretty solid story. There's not a lot of holes I can poke into it because they, they, they put a lot of thought and energy and time. The prophets were not making up stories. This, this came to them through God's Spirit. In fact, in the book of 2 Peter, he's going to say something absolutely profound and so important to helping us understand the, the, the Word of God being the Word of God. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, I didn't put it on the screen, but Peter says this. He says, above all, you know this, no prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation. Because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's absolutely profound and powerful to understanding the Scriptures. Now, I realize that we're taking that by faith. I realize that. But if we take that to be true, that means that, that God was the one who spoke and the prophets wrote down God's message. They weren't supposed to insert their own ideas. They weren't supposed to make up their own stories. And God's word, God's word is the recorded revelation of his intervention, his interacting with his people. Our God has spoken. That's why the, the scriptures are so crucial. That's why we ought to memorize them. That's why we ought to study them. We, it's through them that we hear the voice of God. This grace was a divinely revealed grace. The second thing I want to mention about our salvation, though, is that it was an investigated salvation. I, I, th I think this is, what Peter says here is pretty profound. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets, they, they searched and carefully investigated they inquired into what times or circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating 
when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. That's verses 10 and 11. You hear what he's saying? So these prophets, they were, they, they sort of got the ball rolling. They were, they were sort of the, the pregame show b- before the event. But, they, but, but just like if you tune in to watch a football game today and the, the pregame analysts are talking about what the strategies each team is going to employ or what they should employ or what key players are most important, they, they understand a little bit about what's going to take place that day. They know there's going to be a game that's going to be played. They know the teams that are involved. They know the players that are involved. They know the, the, the strengths and weaknesses of these teams. They know some of the keys of the game that, that will help the team win most, uh, uh, you know, that, that give them the best chance, right? And it's always funny to listen to some of these analysts talk. It's like they say the same things, but they try to find creative ways to say it. Essentially, they're saying uh, the team that's going to score the most points will win today. But they take about an hour and a half before the game to say that sentence. And, and they break it all down. And, and, you know, like, whoever wins the turnover battle is going to win. It's like, the, like these cliches that they just throw around, but they have to try to doctor it up because they said the same thing they said last week, and they're going to say the same thing again next week. But, but at the end of the day, they don't know exactly how the game's going to unfold. They have some idea. They've got a picture. But there could be a crazy turn of events. There could be this huge upset, or a, a key player could get injured. You see, the prophets, they, they, they talked about the grace that would be revealed, but they didn't fully understand it. And I love this phrase. I think it's here in verse, uh, verse 11. It says, uh, no, I'm sorry, it's at the end of verse 10. It says, they searched and carefully in- investigated about this grace. These two phrases are, are synonymous, and they, they, they indicate that these prophets exerted considerable effort and care into learning something, to make a careful search, to seek diligently to learn something. Those of you who are still in school, this probably describes your study methods, right? Uh, this this uh, endeavor to know best how to, how to like, figure out a problem. And it says that these prophets, they were like, they, they poured themselves into understanding what would take place down the road. They knew that this grace was coming. They knew that God was going to save his people. They knew that, that God was going to intervene because it, his people had messed up royally and had walked away from him and pursued other gods. And they deserved to be cast aside. The prophets knew that. But they also knew that God was promising that he was going to do something. Places like in Jeremiah 31, he says, I'm going to make a new covenant with you, and I'm going to write my law upon your hearts. I'm going to take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And the prophets are like, what is this? We want to know. But they weren't going to see it in their lifetime. But they pondered it. They turned it over and over and over. You know, it's easy to think that the Old, Pro- Old Testament prophets had it really good. I mean, after all, God spoke directly to them. How many, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I can't think of how many times I, I just have said, like, God, can I just hear a voice? Can you, you, can you send me an email or a text or something? Like, so I know what you want me to do in this situation. And it'll be easy for me to think that, like, man, those prophets had it so good, just hearing directly from the voice of God. 
you read about the lives of the prophets, though, you kind of temper those, th- those opinions just a little bit. Because, like, all of them were hated. Many of them were put to death. Nobody listened to them. I mean, okay, they heard from God, but it wasn't like every day. It wasn't like they put out a daily journal or a daily bulletin from God. Sometimes it would be years in between hearing the voice of God and hearing a message from God. Some of them only had, we see in Scripture, it seems like they only had one or two messages, and that was their whole career. That didn't stop them from investigating. They were intrigued and fascinated by what they saw coming. One writer says what Peter is eager to point out is that his hearers are the heirs of the full message of the prophets. The least disciple of Christ is in a better position to understand Old Testament revelation than the greatest prophet before Christ came. Do you realize that you and I today have more before us than Isaiah, than Jeremiah, than Ezekiel, than Abraham? We have the revealed word of God. We're standing on the other side of the cross and we get to see what God has done. It's not just an investigated salvation. It's not just a prophesied salvation. But thirdly, it's a proclaimed salvation. It's a proclaimed salvation. Verse 12 tells us, he says, These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Peter had the privilege of hearing and sitting at the feet of Jesus himself. Peter got his message from the Savior himself. But his hearers had not had that blessing. They had either heard the message from apostles or likely maybe second, third, and fourth hand believers that that were passing on, were sharing their faith. And he says, listen, these things, these precious truths of God's grace have arrived at your doorstep through those who preach the gospel to you. You know, my brothers and sisters, I hope you, you know that he's not just talking about ordained clergy or people who have reverend attached to their title. This is a proclamation that we can all be involved in. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 10 that the feet of those who take the gospel are beautiful. Beautiful feet proclaiming the word of God. You may be like, yeah, you haven't seen my feet. There's a reason that I don't wear sandals in the summer. I get it. That's not what he's talking about, though. He's talking about the, 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 the beautiful hearts of those who are willing to step forth and bring light into the darkness. And these men and women that Peter were writing to that were scattered throughout Asia had heard the gospel because there were those who said, i, I got to spread the word. And notice he says it's by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It's just a reminder that you and I, as we herald and hold forth the word of God, we don't have to convince people. We don't have to beat people over the head. We don't have to give guilt trips. We don't have to lay it on ourselves like, oh, maybe I didn't say the right words exactly. Maybe if I had been a little more persuasive or had a been a little chip, more chipper that day, maybe they would believe. It's the Holy Spirit that does the work on the hearts of those who hear. It's a proclaimed salvation. And finally, 
It's a captivating salvation. And this is where we return to the idea and the subject of angels. It's a captivating salvation. And I, 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 this, this last phrase of verse 12 is uh, always been of great interest to me. Speaking of our salvation, he says, angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Angel, I mean, he just kind of throws that in there out of nowhere. Like he's been talking about prophets. He's been talking about this amazing grace that has been revealed to us. And then he brings up angels. And he says, angels wish they understood the grace that you've received. This phrase that's translated catch a glimpse in my translation here, uh, it, it's only used, this word is only used uh, five times in the New Testament. And it's interesting, three of the five times are in reference to when the disciples went to the tomb to look for Jesus after his resurrection. And, it, and it's translated in those passages as they, they stooped down, as they were looking in, they, they were trying to, trying to see, is there a body there? They were looking at the graves, grave clothes. They stooped down to get a better look. And it creates a picture of the angels here. It's, it's almost like you can picture them kind of looking over. The, I mean, I don't know what heaven looks like. I don't know if there's an edge like this that they're like, you got to be careful. You don't fall over. You're stuck down here with us. But like, you just kind of picture the angels are like leaning in. They're at the, at the edge of their seats. They're trying to get any little bit of understanding, just the littlest snippet of information to, to, to bring in and say, okay, I want to try to understand this. I've seen a lot of stuff throughout history. I mean, angels have been around since the beginning of creation. They've seen, it's, it's possible they saw creation itself. If they were created before God made the universe, they saw the world before sin entered in. They got to see the perfection and the beauty of what God said, this is good. This is very good. They saw Adam and Eve in their innocence. They, and they saw that that day as the serpent tempted Adam and Eve and sin entered into God's perfect creation. And they saw all these amazing biblical events that we read about. And we wonder how what they looked like, to trans, how they transpired. The angels saw them. And in, in many cases, probably all the cases, they're involved somehow, whether behind the scenes or sometimes Scripture inserts them right into the action. They saw the flood. They heard God call Abraham. They saw Joseph and his trials and how God used him to protect God's people. They saw Moses lead the Israelites out of Egypt. They saw how God miraculously delivered the Israelites over and over again under Gideon and the other judges. They saw and watched the reign of King David, someone whom God said, this is a man after my own heart. They saw the courage of Esther and her boldness. They listened to the words of the prophets and on and on again it goes. And yet, the topic of conversation, the thing that most interests them, the thing which captivates them, is not reflecting back on the good old days. You remember, what, remember David and how he just destroyed that giant? 
You, you remember what it was like to follow behind the Israelites as they walked through the Red Sea with water parted? You remember seeing Isaiah and hearing Jeremiah as they proclaimed the word of God and their courage and their boldness? They don't talk about that. What, what captivates them is that why God and how God came down from heaven, took on the form of a human, so that he might give his life for those who wanted nothing to do with him. How God would take someone who was dead in their trespasses and sins, who was absolutely a lost cause, and would breathe life into them, give them a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How God himself would come to indwell them through his Holy Spirit. How, how God would go from taking them, make, having them be his enemies to being his sons and daughters. How God would unite you and I with himself in some mystifying and mystical way. Peter says angels, they stoop down and long to understand these things. Because even after thousands and thousands or however long Earth has been around and creation has been around. Even after thousands of years of pondering this, they still can't figure it out. Because angels have never experienced this. With what little bit of information we have, there was a rebellion. Satan rebelled against God and took a third of the angels with him. And there wasn't like a chance for a do-over. Jesus didn't die for the angels. They, those that rebelled have been there ever since. Angels don't know what it means to be saved. Angels don't know what it means to be brought back from the dead. Angels don't know what it means to be united with Christ and to be called his sons and daughters. They have dwelt eternally in the presence of God. They cry out, Worship and praise, songs of praise, day and night. And yet they're still mystified by grace. As we close, the three questions from this text. The first one is, the prophets investigated do you? Do you study God's word the way that the prophets wrestled with the things that had been revealed to them and the scriptures that they had up until that point to try to understand, to try to plumb the depths of what God was saying and what God was doing? And they knew they weren't going to get to be a part of it. They knew they weren't going to get to see that which they prophesied. But it didn't stop them from investigating. 
Do you investigate the Word of God? Do you search the Scriptures diligently to better understand the love of God for you? To better understand the nature and character of your God? To better understand the calling and mission which God has placed upon your heart and life? The prophets investigated. May we do the same. Secondly, the messengers proclaimed. Do you? Somebody or some people, nameless people, that history has forgotten, proclaimed the gospel to the men and women to whom Peter was writing. Most scholars agreed that it wasn't Peter. Most scholars agreed that he hadn't traveled up there, that he hadn't, he hadn't ministered up in that area. These weren't churches that he planted. There's no evidence of that. And there's no indication from the letter that that, that was the case. Somebody told these people about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit opened their eyes and their hearts to receive the message of Christ. And Peter could write this letter to challenge their faith. We don't know who those somebodies were. It could have been a mom or dad. It could have been a grandfather or a grandmother. It could have been a neighbor who was on their knees tirelessly praying day and night for this pagan next door that they might know hope. We have the words of life. May we proclaim them. You never know whose lives you're going to touch. God's the one that does the heart change. Remember that. It takes a load off. But we're called to proclaim. And then finally, the angels are captivated. Are you? It's easy to come to the scriptures and read some of these things that maybe we've heard time and time again, maybe hundreds of sermons in our lives about grace and salvation. And it's easy to just sort of let them roll through. Yeah, I've heard that one. Yeah, I know about grace. Thumbs up for grace. It's easy to let the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ become background noise. I don't think that's what he wants us to do with the gospel. You see, I think when we behold Jesus for who he truly is, he is infinitely lovely and infinitely beautiful. And when we see and encounter Jesus, we'll discover that he's more precious than anything else that captivates us, whether it's our hobbies or a game today or, or what we plan to do in our retirement or the things we want to spend our money on. Jesus is better than all of these things. And he longs for us to know that. He wants us to want what is best for us. The angels have been on their seat for millennia trying to understand grace. May God awaken our hearts 
that we might be captivated by Jesus Christ in a fresh way today. We have the privilege of being able to celebrate the Lord's table together today. And, and, and in that last, in those last hours that Jesus was with the disciples, as they're sitting in the upper room, and the disciples knew that stuff was getting serious. They still didn't understand what was going on. Jesus said to them this, and you can read this in Luke 22. He says, I fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus longed for his disciples to come in and experience him in this precious and profound way. To experience his loving kindness and his grace toward them. This was a grace, this was an experience that they had not yet shared. They'd had and seen his grace time and time again and in countless ways. But to have, to, to sit around the table, to partake of this bread that he says, he says, it represents his body. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took a cup and he says, take this. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he told them to drink in remembrance of him. As we come to the Lord's table, we're returning in Again, to this grace that has been brought to us through Jesus Christ. This grace that angels long to look into. It's my prayer today as we partake of the Lord's table that we'll have a fresh awareness and a joy in our salvation. A gratitude for our Savior coming to the cross and dying and shedding his blood for our sins and rising again from the grave victoriously. The salvation that we're beckoned into, invited into, that angels are on the outside looking in. We can't feel bad for them. That's, God has given them a different destiny. But the picture reminds us that we should rejoice. We should be grateful. We should worship because of the grace that's revealing. This morning, it's by God's grace that his followers can partake in this, in this table. And I, I love the, the beauty of being able to share in this together with one another. We get to experience this grace, this fellowship with one another and with God together. If you've never celebrated communion here at Brown Corners, I just want to remind you that... Um, this is for believers. If you're not a follower of Christ, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, uh, this is not for you. We're not trying to make rules or keep you out. That's, that's God's word. And that this is for those who have trusted Jesus as his Savior. Um, if, uh, if as you come, you know, that there's a passage in 1 Corinthians that is sometimes read that just reminds us that this is also a time for us to reflect. If, if, if you're living in sin, if you haven't repented of things that the Holy Spirit is clearly convicting you for, 
Don't come. Deal with that first. Confess that first before you come to the Lord's table. But if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior and are walking with Him, we want to invite you to participate in this act of worship with us. If, if you um, require gluten-free bread, you can find that here uh, in, the, in the center. Um, this is also a, a day where we, you'll see the, the offering plates there. If you feel led to give, we take up an offering on the first Sunday of every month for those in our, our church family and our community who are in um, some financial need. And so if you feel led to give to that above your normal giving, uh, we invite you to do so uh, with glad and generous hearts. I want to just take some time and let you talk to the Lord before we, um, before we invite you forward and just take some time in your hearts to express gratitude for the grace of God, for the things the angels long to look into. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, you have been so abundantly good to us. We don't understand, we can't possibly fully grasp the grace that you have revealed to us, the grace that angels can't even comprehend. You told us that through faith we're saved by grace and that we enter into that loving and redemptive relationship with you. God, may our... Well, first of all, God, I ask that you would forgive us for lack of interest in grace. Forgive us for apathy. Forgive us for a familiarity that has bred laziness, bred disinterest, Whatever it is that stands in our way of enjoying and worshiping you for your saving grace, Lord, remove that. If it's idols and things that have, have taken your place, if it's a, a lack of a deep reflection and, and studying of these things, stir our hearts that we might know you more and enter further in to an understanding of your outrageous love for us. God, as we worship you through communion today, may you be pleased and honored and glorified as we reflect upon what our Savior did to be able to draw us close. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please come.
so thankful for you this morning. We're so thankful that you've went before us, God, that you've given your life for us. And we just pray that you help us to be your hands and feet, God. As we go out into this dark world, help us to be the light to remove that darkness, God. We just pray that for those hurting and suffering, God, that you be with them. Help to be with those less fortunate than us. Help us to give them you, God. Help us to, to put in their hearts the bug that only you can that you can grow, God. Help them to know you, God, and help us to do everything in our power to be the example that you set before us. We pray all this in your son's precious name. Amen.